road, we always are willing and happily take donations from listeners like yourselves. As you know, we are approaching our 60th anniversary of being on the air, being part of the Pacifica Radio Network, and we can only do that, and we couldn't have done that without the help of listeners like yourselves. So while the show is on the air, please consider becoming a financial supporter to this radio station. You could call anytime at the pledge line 516-620-3602 or go to give to WBAI.org online. You can send a check or money order to WBAI, uh, which is addressed to um, WBAI Pacifica Radio, 388 Atlantic Avenue, third floor, uh, Brooklyn, New York, 11217. And last, certainly not not least, <laughs> certainly. Ooh. All right. Do that again. And last and certainly not least, you can text to donate. Text WBAI to the number 41444 on your smartphone. Okay. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News coming up, presented by The Independent. Good evening. In the news tonight, the aftershocks from the U.S. assassination of an Iranian general continue to be felt from the Middle East to the United States. Disgraced movie mogul Harvey Weinstein and several women who have accused him of sexual misconduct both appeared at a New York City courthouse today in advance of his upcoming trial. The top Democrat in the New York State Senate has signaled she is ready to revise a major new bail reform law that only went into effect last week. And an estimated 20,000 Jews and their allies rallied Sunday in Foley Square to protest a recent upsurge in anti-Semitism here in New York. You're listening to the Evening News on WBAI 99.5, hosted by The Independent, New York's progressive newspaper. I'm the Indies Editor-in-Chief, John Tarleton. The aftershocks from the U.S. assassination of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani continue to be felt. Soleimani, the second most powerful figure in the Iranian government, was killed last Thursday near the Baghdad airport in a drone strike ordered by President Donald Trump. On Sunday, the Iraqi parliament voted unanimously for the removal of all U.S. troops in Iraq. On Sunday night, several Katusha rockets fired in Baghdad landed inside the heavily fortified green zone that houses the U.S. embassy. President Trump has responded to the Iraqi parliament's decision by threatening to impose crushing sanctions on Iraq if the U.S. is booted out of that country. In Iran, hundreds of thousands of mourners poured into the streets of Tehran and other cities for Soleimani's funeral. Soleimani was revered as a national hero in Iran for his role in leading forces that defeated the Islamic State terrorist group in both Syria and Iraq. The Iranian government has vowed to avenge his killing. On Sunday, the Iranians announced they would no longer comply with the terms of the 2015 U.S.-Iran nuclear accord that Trump withdrew from in 2018. President Trump, in turn, has threatened to bomb 52 sites in Iran if the Iranians carry out attacks against any U.S. troops or bases. Among the sites he has threatened are centuries-old cultural sites that date back to when Iran was known as Persia. Growing tensions in the Middle East are good news for some people. On Friday, global oil prices increased by 3% over concerns that Middle East oil supplies could be cut off if the U.S.-Iran conflict continues to escalate. Meanwhile, the stock prices of leading U.S. arms manufacturers Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, and Lockheed Martin all jumped Friday at the prospect of another war in the Middle East. Here in the U.S., leading Democratic presidential candidates Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have both called on Trump to de-escalate the conflict with Iran. 
On Friday night, Senator Sanders and Representative Ro Khanna unveiled new legislation that would bar any Pentagon funding for, quote, military force in or against Iran without congressional approval. Calls for peace also rang out in more than 80 cities across the U.S. on Saturday. Here in New York, hundreds of anti-war demonstrators rallied in Times Square in a demonstration organized by Code Pink and the Answer Coalition. A second, smaller anti-war rally was held later Saturday in Jackson Heights, Queens, in the shadow of the 74th Street Roosevelt Avenue subway station. State Senator Jessica Ramos and former Queens District Attorney candidate Tiffany Caban were among the attendees. A member of RANA, an Iranian feminist collective, was among the speakers. We have to say no war, no sanctions. We have to be in solidarity with people struggling for the kind of democratic futures that we all want to live in. Shania Chowdhury, a former U.S. Marine who is running for Congress in New York's 5th Congressional District in Southeast Queens, also spoke. Why are we out there with these endless wars to begin with? We have accomplished nothing. We are putting innocent lives of Iraqis and Iranians, Afghanistan's peoples at risk for nothing but profit. So um, anyone and anyone who supports the president right now, whose actions were foolish and dangerous, is complicit in the murders of innocent people throughout the world. And you're listening to the WBI Evening News presented by The Independent. I'm the Indies Editor-in-Chief John Tarleton. In other news, former Trump National Security Advisor John Bolton says he is prepared to testify if he is subpoenaed by the Senate in its impeachment trial of Donald Trump. In state and local news, Harvey Weinstein and several women who have accused him of sexual misconduct converged Monday at a New York City courthouse ahead of his trial on charges of rape and sexual assault. The 67-year-old movie mogul, who is free on a $5 million bail, entered the building Monday leaning on a walker following recent back surgery. He, his lawyers, and a judge were handling the final preparations before jury selection starts this week. A group of Weinstein's accusers spoke with reporters outside court, including actress Rose McGowan. She thanked the women who will testify for representing many more women, she says, who may never get their day in court. Andrea Stewart-Cousins, the Democratic Majority Leader of the New York State Senate, announced over the weekend that she would be willing to revise New York's new bail laws that just went into effect January 1. The laws mandate that people charged with nonviolent offenses and who are awaiting trial be released from jail without having to make bail, a burden that falls disproportionately on the poor. The new law has received intense pushback from district attorneys, police groups, right-wing media, and the private bail industry that profited from the old system. In Queens, former borough president Melinda Katz was sworn in as Queens' first female district attorney on January 1st. Katz won the Democratic primary last June by 55 votes over public defender Tiffany Caban. During the campaign, Katz joined Caban in vowing to end cash bail in all criminal cases. However, she promptly broke that promise. According to the Queens Eagle, Katz's office asked for $50,000 bail for Frank Bujeha, the first criminal defendant of 2020. Bujeha is alleged to have stolen a cell phone and threatened the victim with a sharp object. The judge in the case set bail at $2,000. When Bujeha couldn't make bail, he was remanded to Rikers Island. We'll have more about the ongoing battle between the Queens Democratic Party machine and progressive insurgents who are challenging it in the second half of the show. In other news, Governor Andrew Cuomo's administration has announced that health care providers will receive a 1% cut in the reimbursements they receive for the Medicaid health care program as part of a plan to tackle a multi-billion dollar state budget deficit. While the governor is prepared to reduce spending on health care for the poor, the Wall Street Journal reported on Saturday that the state of New York had offered a billion dollars more in incentives to Amazon 
than the $3 billion that had previously been reported. Some of that additional money would have gone toward paying the salaries of Amazon employees. And finally, this month has seen a wave of anti-Semitic attacks in the New York City area. This includes the killing of four at a kosher deli in Jersey City and an attack at a rabbi's home in Monsey, New York, by a machete-wielding assailant that left five people injured. On Sunday, an estimated 20,000 Jews and their allies rallied in Foley Square in lower Manhattan to demand an end to these hate crimes. Later, they marched across the Brooklyn Bridge with some participants singing in Hebrew... Quote, the whole world is a narrow bridge, and the most important part is to not be afraid. We will be right back to talk more about Sunday's march and the response to the upsurge in anti-Semitic attacks in New York. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning, I'd hammer in the evening, all over this land, I'd hammer out Is Ellen there? That was If I Had a Hammer by Pete Seeger. And welcome back to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper, now in its 20th year. I'm John Tarleton, The Independent's editor-in-chief. The past month has seen a wave of anti-Semitic attacks in the New York City area. These incidents have ranged from ugly racial confrontations in public spaces to violent attacks such as the mass shooting in Jersey City that left four dead in a kosher deli and a machete-wielding assailant entering a rabbi's home in Muncie, New York, and injuring five people. On Sunday, an estimated 20,000 Jews and their allies rallied in lower Manhattan to demand an end to these anti-Semitic attacks. To help us make sense of what is happening and what a healthy response to this wave of hate crimes would look like, we are joined tonight by Rabbi Ellen Lippman. She is the founder and Rabbi Emerita of the Kolot High New Synagogue in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and a member of the Board of Jews for Racial and Economic Justice, or JFREG. Rabbi Lippman, welcome to the WBAI Evening News. Thanks so much, John. I'm really pleased to be here with you. Yes, thank you for joining us. Uh, you were at the uh, extraordinary rally that took place in yesterday in Lower Manhattan. Many thousands of people gathered from across the full spectrum of the J- Jewish community in New York, as well as uh, allies who were there in support. First of all, can you paint a picture of what it was like to be there, what you saw and heard, and the general mood of the crowd? Well, it was it was quite incredible to walk as I did. Um, from Broadway on Duane Street to gather with several communities, including Jews for Racial and Economic Justice, at the African Burial Ground Monument Mm. and to take in for a moment um, the reality of the ground under our feet in New York City um, and then to see this enormous um, gathering that kept growing and growing and growing um, in Foley Square and sort of spilling out into all of the side streets um, and side um, plazas around Foley Square. And to see a fairly wide range of Jewish community, meaning a wide range in ages, um, wide range in at least visibly sort of levels of Jewish um, uh, ritual garb um, in apparent 
um, a range of opinion, judging on signs that people held or um, arguments that were overheard right. or, um, or uh, yeah, positions ex- um, explained. I would say that where I was, I was um, a little saddened that there were very few Jews of color. There were a few um, among our community gathered, but um, I'm not sure that Jews of color um, would always have felt comfortable in this large, almost entirely white gathering. Um, And I guess that it would have been nice to see more um, Hasidic Jews who have been the um, the recent victims of those anti-Semitic attacks. But mm. overall, the gathering was um, lively and engaging, and people seemed genuinely um, both happy and um, determined to be there. Great. And one of the slogans uh, some marchers had on their signs yesterday was safety and solidarity. Yes. Uh, can you take a moment to talk about what that means? Sure. Um, that was actually a slogan that, um, for the group that I was with, primarily Jews for Racial and Economic Justice and some of our other more progressive um, uh, colleague organizations and some progressive synagogues, um, it was a phrase that helped us try to get, you know, in a phrase, at the idea that we Jews can't stand alone in looking at anti-Semitism or um, the ways that it affects us when we are living in such an enormous and um, multiracial and cross-cultural city uh, as New York that, and including um, many communities who experience violence um, and attacks of various kinds regularly um, and often, um, that we must stand together, that our safety is bound up with the safety of our neighbors, um, and that if we think that we can have a march that only focuses on anti-Semitism, um, we can do that to help strengthen ourselves, and we must feel ourselves strongly included in the diversity of New York City, but we can't long... Um, predicate our safety on just a focus on anti-Semitism right. without now, also looking at others. Right. At, now, at the same time, uh, Mayor uh, Bill de Blasio has responded uh, to the increase in anti-Semitic incidents by vowing to beef up the NYPD's presence in neighborhoods with significant Jewish populations. Uh, yes. So this is a, a – can you talk about why this uh, uh, might be a problematic approach? Sure. I mean, I should also say that I I understand the fears of Jewish communities um, after, you know, a, a series of harsh and harsher and murderous attacks. Um, I understand that people are afraid, and sometimes when we're afraid, we want to say, get me more protection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's it's similar to what I was saying before. If we don't understand, for instance, the fear that our black neighbors and friends may feel at the presence of greater police presence when they have been so regularly um, attacked by police, um, we will not um, create the kinds of bonds in our neighborhoods that we want going forward. 
we have to be aware of what um, an over, a sort of overdoing it of gun power on behalf of Jews may look like to other communities. And while we may feel that it will briefly or temporarily make us safer, uh, I certainly think that in the long run, it's a more dangerous way to go. That my hope is that we can instead do the long, slower, harder work of um, of knowing our neighbors deeply and engaging with them and building bonds between us and learning between us that ultimately will be the way that we can feel safest on our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our homes. Okay, we'll have to leave it there, but thank you for uh, joining us uh, tonight. Uh, Rabbi Ellen Lippman, uh, Rabbi Emerita from the uh, Kolot Hayenu Hayenu. Synagogue. Thank you for the assist. Thank you again for joining us tonight on the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent. Thanks so much, John. When we come back after this short break, we'll look at some of the latest developments in the ongoing battle between a reeling Queens Democratic Party establishment and the feisty progressive insurgents who are working diligently to dismantle that political machine. That was Get Up, Stand Up by Bob Marley, and welcome back to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper. I'm John Tarleton, The Independent's editor-in-chief. In our second segment, we turn to the borough of Queens, where a long-entrenched political machine has faced an unprecedented challenge from the left over the past year and a half since Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a socialist, knocked off Congressman Joe Crowley in a Democratic primary. Crowley was also the Queen's party boss. The latest skirmish occurred on December 30 when supporters of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren prevented party leaders from delivering a presidential endorsement to Joe Biden. To talk about that incident and more, we are joined tonight by Mumita Ahmed, co-founder of the New Reformers PAC, a member of the Democratic Socialists of America and a Bernie Sanders delegate. Mumita, welcome to the WBAI Evening News. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's it's great to have you with us. Uh, first of all, can you describe uh, what happened on December 30th and why you all mobilized to stop party leaders from delivering that uh, endorsement to Joe Biden? And also, how did you all do it? I mean, really, this would have been unthinkable in uh, mm-hmm. Queen's uh, Democratic politics even a couple of years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's... It happened because many of us are in the organizing space and we've built coalitions and have 
met people in the community who do a lot of organizing work. And we have folks that are on the inside um, that are our allies. And so we were, um, I was tipped off by uh, some sources <laughs> um, and uh, saying that there, that the Queens County machine, the Queens Democratic Party is planning to hold an impromptu meeting on December 30th, Monday morning, um, to endorse Joe Biden and for the Queensboro president race. Um, now, the Queensboro president race, not so much a surprise. However, the presidential endorsement to us was um, very surprising, considering um, what has been happening and considering there hasn't been any forums or town halls to inform voters um, or that there have there has been even a primary effort from any campaign here in New York. The pro- so the primary hasn't even started in New York, and our party is already thinking about endorsing. So, you know, I uh, talked to a few folks, and um, people were like, that "There's a ninety percent chance." But then, actually, um, two days before the meeting. Um, Council member Costa Constantinides, who is running for borough president um, and is a district leader himself, um, confirmed by a Twitter that he received a letter um, from the county without an agenda calling for district leaders to assemble December 30th, Monday morning. And that um, it's uh, people are assuming, the district leaders themselves are assuming that this is a presidential endorsement. So once um, he was... So what, just to speed yeah. the story up a little bit, what, what, uh, what did you all do that uh, stopped the party leaders in, in their tracks? So once we had confirmation from a district leader candidate, right? I mean, sorry, a district leader, um, we pretty much just mobilized our community, and that includes New Reformers PAC, County Committee for All, um, um, uh, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, organizers, like everybody in Queens that does organizing work from Bangladeshi Americans for political progress, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's there's a lot of these local grassroots groups, and we all just came together um, and and put together a press conference led by new reformers in our statement. And that was enough to uh, uh, discourage uh, the uh, party leadership, at least for now, from uh, endorsing Biden. Yeah, because what we showed them is the party broke its own bylaws by calling a meeting without an agenda. I um, I don't think they even had the 41 members that they require to have a quorum to mm-hmm. make such endorsements. Um, these are, I mean, those, these are nitty gritty party laws that are hard to explain in such short sure. um, amount of time. But I highly suggest people go and look at the party bylaws of the Queen's Party, um, because there's definitely violations and there are multiple articles about how they conducted that, how undemocratically they conducted that meeting. Right. And just to move on here, because we we just have maybe two or three more minutes, um, can you describe um, uh, who actually controls the Queen's Democratic Party, uh, why the party why the way the party is currently run is is bad for the people of Queens, and then uh, bounce from there and describe uh, some initiatives that you have going on to uh, try to further shake up the party leadership uh, this year. Yeah, the the Queens Party is controlled by the executive committee, which is made up of district leaders, 
and the people and the chair that they've elected plus the um, the secretary and uh, secretaries, which include um, the three white men from Long Island, Mike Reich, uh, Frank Bowles, and Gerard Sweeney. They're the three famous lawyers who um, who were Melinda Katz's lawyer against Caban, and they pretty much run Queens County. Um, and the district leaders just fall in line behind whatever they want, including our chair. And and uh, so that's why New Reformers is a pack um, led by women of color from and and Bright Lim, who's um, who's an Asian American um, uh, working families party member um, and a DSA organizing committee member. Um, we are running people for district leader so that we can elect a better executive committee. And and and. Um... What's your long? I mean, we just have a one minute here. Uh, what's your long-term vision for the Queens Democratic Party? Uh, how how far to the left can you take this? We we just want to make it. We want to start with making it transparent, inclusive, and accountable to working class people. Once we do that, um, you know, we uh, we sh- we make it make ways for any left and progressive policies. But first, we actually have to make it transparent and accountable to working class people, um, which, you know, as you know, is a left value and a progressive value. Absolutely. I think the demographics speak for itself. Queens is moving towards a more younger, democratic, um, inclusive um, uh, community. So, yeah. And, um, okay, so uh, people can uh, find out more about about. Uh, this at, uh, uh, I guess, on uh, social media with the New Reformers Pack, and then of course you, you have a very active uh, Twitter feed uh, at Disruptionary. Um, yeah, and yeah, and the New Reformers website is www.newreformers.org, um, and our handle is at Reformers New. Um, anyone can run for district leaders. We can. There's 72 of them, um, and anyone can also run for county committee. Who um, who is also part of that make up the party, Queens County party. So, and there's 1,200 plus seats and 800 of them vacant. So anyone, anyone, literally anyone, especially if you're an organizer, can and should run for this position. Excellent. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, Mumita Ahmed, thank you for all the work you're doing to bring uh, a true democracy to Queens. Uh, and uh, we look forward to talking to you more in the future. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Good night. So this has been the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent. The current issue of The Independent, uh, our uh, monthly print edition, is out on the streets of New York. You can find it in uh, boxes, public libraries, uh, bookstores, cafes, and other venues across the city. You can also find The Independent at independent.org, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. And if you have any uh, questions or comments about the paper or the show, you can reach us at uh, contact at independent.org. Thank you uh, for listening tonight, and we'll be back uh, same time next week. Thank you.
Amended and restated specific bylaws amendments have been proposed and may now be found on the Foundation's website at www.pacifica.org for review and have been voted on by the Pacifica National Board and are to be voted on by the station delegates, followed by a membership vote. WBAI's local station board is the Pacifica Foundation Board responsible for local management and operations. The next meeting of the local station board will be Wednesday, January 8th at 7 p.m. at the YWCA, 33rd Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, between Atlantic Avenue and State Street. This first local station board meeting of 2020 will also include a delegates assembly to elect WBAI representatives to the Pacifica National Board. Meetings of the local station board are open to the public, and as always, there will be an opportunity for public comment. The meeting is wheelchair accessible. Again, that's Wednesday, January 8th at 7 p.m. at the YWCA on 33rd Avenue, Brooklyn, New York. Listeners and the public are invited and welcome. You don't have to contribute to WBAI to come to the meeting, but why not? See you Wednesday. Celebrate six years of storytelling with the Digital Media Training Program. Sunday, January 12th at 3 p.m. at the Rune Arledge Cinema in Lerner Hall at Columbia University, 116th Street and Broadway. You'll be treated to film screenings, award presentations, and our latest documentary, Harlem to Kilimanjaro. Learn about the Maasai culture of Tanzania, East African hip-hop, and more. For free tickets, go to www.harlemeyes.com or log on to Eventbrite and search Harlem to Kilimanjaro or call 917-748-4122. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. This is a listener-sponsored community radio station providing you a Pacifica state of mind since 1960, and the the previous program was the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent. Uh, The WBAI Evening News is heard Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Stay tuned for Counterspin coming up. And and once again, this is WBAI New York and WBAI.org online. Stay tuned.